0: Clay wasn't an impulsive person. He was a quiet, older man who kept to himself, and preferred a few close friends to lots of acquaintances. I was lucky to be counted as a friend. I met him when I started at the lumber yard, and he was assigned to train me. I was a quick learner, which gave us plenty of time to get to know each other. I was new in town, I had moved for the job, so Clay was my only friend outside of work. We had beers and talked on his porch during the summer and as the sun dipped below the horizon I would try my best to get him to tell me more about his life. He had the look of a man who was filled with stories and he didn't disappoint. He had worked every manual labor job you could think of and served in the military for several years after high school. I had a good picture of who he was as a younger man and what he'd been like but there were always gaps. He would sometimes be in the middle of a story and trail off, as if a bad memory had surfaced and he didn't want to think about it. One night I showed up with a six-pack, and when I knocked on the door he didn't answer. The blinds were closed, but there was a light on in the living room. I knocked again. A clinking of glass rang out, followed by staggered, heavy footsteps, He fumbled with the chain lock and pulled the door open. The smell of whiskey wafted out as he breathed. He was a mess. He said he wasn't in the mood for company and thanked me for coming over. Just as he was about to shut the door, I put my foot in. You look like you need some company, I said. Besides, I held up the beer. I figured you might be getting low. He considered it for a moment, then sighed and opened the door. I set the beer down on the coffee table and took a seat in the chair. He sank into the couch and stared at the floor. I opened two bottles and offered him one, and he took a long swig. What's wrong? I asked. Today's the anniversary, he said softly. I didn't know you were married, I said, surprised. He closed his eyes and shook his head. Now... I never married. Then what's it the anniversary of? I asked. He took another swig. The pit. He winced as he said it, as if the words themselves caused him physical pain. I waited for a moment before asking what the pit was. He steeled himself. If I tell you, he started. I had my reasons, and I think anyone in their right mind would have done the same, but living with it's killing me. Every year, it's worse. The nightmares are unbearable. He chugged the rest of the bottle and dropped it on the floor. He was quiet for a while, then he told me the story of the pit. Clay was visiting his sister Bianca in a New Hampshire suburb. Instead of a warm greeting from her and her husband Derek when he arrived, they were tired and anxious. They were unusually quiet and surprised to see him, as if they forgot he was coming. He was on guard and suspected there was something going on between them at first, but it soon became apparent that it was caused by some external source. They were barely talking to each other or him, but he could hear fevered whispering between the two when he left the room. At dinner, he cleared his throat and broke the silence. He asked them what was going on and why they were acting so strange. They said nothing, just picked at their plates and avoided his gaze, but he could see the nervous expressions on their faces. He persisted and demanded an answer, and Bianca looked over to Derek. We need to tell him, she said, lowly. Derek looked at her, then at Clay. We don't, he said. He'll find out anyway, she retorted. What is it? Clay asked. Derek put his fork down. You could tell something was wrong the moment you saw us, couldn't you? he asked. Clay stared at him. Derek put his head in his hands then looked up at Clay with exhausted desperation. I have to show you something, he said. He stood up from the table and opened a door in the hall, flipping a light switch just inside. Clay followed and walked down the steps to the basement. Derek flipped another switch at the bottom of the stairs and a single naked bulb flickered to life. The basement was empty except for a large piece of sheet metal in the middle of the concrete floor with cinder blocks stacked all the way around the edges. The sight of it made Clay uneasy, but he didn't know why. This is it, Derek said. He stood next to the blocks. We were renovating, trying to turn this into a finished basement, make it a livable space. But then last winter a pipe burst and flooded damn near the whole basement. We got it cleaned up and found out it damaged the flooring, so I took it all out last month. And that's when I found this. He paced around the blocks. There's a hole under there, about six feet across. I don't know how deep it is. He stopped walking and looked at Clay. Things have been different ever since we found it. Clay asked what he meant. Small things at first, Derek said. Losing concentration, emotional outbursts, unusual but nothing too abnormal that couldn't be explained away. But then he trailed off and placed a hand on one of the cinder blocks. Bianca was hugging herself at the bottom of the stairs. We started losing time. Bits and pieces here and there. I would walk into a room and, in the blink of an eye, be lying on the floor. Or get in the shower, and the next thing I know, I'm sitting on the bed, no towel, just soaking wet. Bianca was sweeping the floor and reached for the dustpan, but instead she was holding her hand over the lit stove top. Clay looked back at her, and she was rubbing her arms. Derek continued. Two days ago, it happened to us at the same time. I was in the garage, and she was watching TV when we blacked out. When I came to, we were standing on opposite sides of the pit. It was bad. She had a breakdown then, and I took her upstairs to bed and sat with her until she calmed down and fell asleep. After that, I came down here and blocked it off. Clay asked why he didn't call someone to look at it or try filling it, and Derek shook his head. We tried, he said. But every time... Every time we tried to do something about it, we would get this bad feeling, like we would be punished somehow, and we would have more dangerous close calls. He stared at the piece of metal. We should get back upstairs, he said. That night... Clay was in the guest room, unable to sleep. What Derek had told him ran through his head. It sounded like a gas leak, he thought, and if they weren't able to take care of it, then he would do it for them. He would call emergency services first thing in the morning, and they would send someone to inspect it. As he lay there, feigning sleep, he heard someone get out of bed and turn the hall light on. They walked past his room and into the kitchen, rummaged through a drawer, then walked back to the bedroom. A minute later, they both got out of bed and walked past this room. Afraid that this was another blackout incident, Clay got out of bed and cautiously called towards the hallway. He opened the door and the first thing he noticed were the wet spots on the floor. Blood. The trail ran from the master bedroom to the basement door. He called out again in a panic and rushed to the door. It was shut and didn't give when he tried the handle. He threw his shoulder into it and felt resistance on the other side. The door was blocked. He yelled for Bianca and started kicking next to the handle. A few solid hits and his foot went through. collided with the object on the other side and it went tumbling down the stairs. He pulled his foot out and threw the door open, bounding down the stairs as fast as he could. At this point, Clay stopped. He wiped out his eyes and reached for another beer. What did you see? I asked. He reached down and picked up the whiskey bottle, held it up to the light and shook it, then tossed it on the floor. He hunched over with his elbows on his knees and folded his hands. I don't know why I'm telling you all this, he said. I said nothing and waited. When I got to the bottom of the stairs, they were standing in front of the pit. The blocks had been stacked against the wall, and the piece of sheet metal slid across the floor. They were facing each other. The blood I saw had been coming from Derek. It was all over the floor around him. A large X had been carved into his torso. Bianca was holding a kitchen knife. They were both in a trance-like state, thousand-yard stairs. Derek didn't even acknowledge his wound. I wanted to go to them, but there was something else in the room with us. A shapeless shadow was floating over the pit like a thick cloud of smoke with no fire. The sight of it froze me, I heard ungodly noises coming from it that sounded far away and in the room with us at the same time, a cacophony of growls and screeches. A part of me knew that if I got too close to it, I would find out what was making the noises and that I would die in the process. She drew the knife across her arm and dropped it at her feet. She wiped the blood onto her fingers. ...and drew two long lines across Derek's pale forehead. The shadow pulsed... ...growing and contracting to its original state. He turned to it... ...and stepped into the darkness. It pulsed one more time... ...violently... ...like an animal devouring prey... ...then contracted... ...and sank into the pit. As soon as it disappeared... Bianca fell to the floor, clutching her arm. She screamed. It was the most terrifying scream I ever heard. She screamed until she was coughing up blood, and the paramedics sedated her. Tears lined his cheeks. We sat there, the ticking clock the only sound apart from his ragged breathing and sniffling. Did she recover? I asked. She was taken to the hospital while I gave a statement. I left out the shadow, obviously. No one was going to believe that. Hell, I wasn't sure I even believed it after it happened. I told them that she snapped and attacked Derek with a knife in the middle of the night, and he fell down the pit. They kept asking me to tell them again, to try and remember what really happened. I was confused. I told them the same story. They treated me like I was crazy. Why? I asked. Surely they had her prince on the knife with all of his blood. They did, he said. They had the knife, the prince, the blood. But there was no body. They searched the entire place and didn't find the body. He took another drink and narrowed his eyes at me. There wasn't even a fucking pit in the basement. Is there any chance you no, he said defensively, cutting me off. I didn't imagine it. I know what I saw. Okay, I said, I'm I'm sorry. I believe you. He took a breath and exhaled slowly. The first night Bianca was in the hospital, she was kept sedated, so she wouldn't be a danger to herself or others. The second day, she woke up and was in an unresponsive state. She didn't react to anything. It was like her mind was somewhere else. They wouldn't let me see her since she was in custody. There were so many things I wanted to ask her, to find out if she knew what they were doing, what it was for. I got a call one night from the hospital informing me that she was dead she'd been left alone for a short amount of time and proceeded to open a sharps container and used an empty syringe to inject air into her IV she died of an aneurysm he drained the rest of the bottle and lay down on the couch so you never found out why I said no he said look I've never told anyone the full story before. I needed to tell someone. This burden has been suffocating me for years now. He closed his eyes and started drifting off. I took that as my cue to leave and went to the door. As I opened it, he raised his head and looked at me. Thank you, he said. I nodded and closed the door on my way out.